I didn't like it either. <laughs> Made me think a lot. Um, Pastor Steve McConnell's in here today. I found out at the last minute he was coming, so I had to take away my normally catchy and offensive sermon title because I didn't want to get fired. <laughs> so all I have for a sermon title today is this. So, um, <laughs> But you can imagine what I had underneath. It was really good. It was really good. <clears throat> um, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I hate that verse. Right? Let's just close in prayer. I don't even want to go on. Um, for we stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the horse's mouth so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a member, a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From these things, uh, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He kind of sugarcoats it in those 12 verses. You know, he doesn't really say what he really means. The word uh, teacher, it means master or rabbi in the Gospels. That's how it's translated in other places, right? So it's, it's a person who's an... It's not just somebody who's just teaching a little bit. It's somebody who's kind of elevated, right? And it's kind of like a recognized teacher. And he's saying, don't rush into this teaching office. Don't rush into the preaching office. Because, see, back in the day, there were men who held that position. And they were glorified, and they loved their glory. Do you remember the passage I preached a while ago about being a respecter of persons? Remember that? Pastor Steve, you got a really nice outfit on. Can I get you guys to get up so you can, he can sit there? That's a better seat. Remember that? That's what he was talking about. And here he says, don't be rushing into taking that glorious position because you have a stricter judgment. They loved their title, they loved their honor, they loved their recognition, they loved their power. They loved their prestige. In this context, it's kind of what he talks about, about being swift to hear, right? Instead of being swift to speak, he's saying being swift to hear, slow to speak. Because in reality, what he's talking about, which is valued more then teaching is brokenness or meekness. Remember, receive with meekness or humility the implanted word of God, which is able to what? Save your souls. So let's look at the tongue today. 
First of all, it's the gateway to filthy overflow, and I would say it's the hardest to keep from filthy overflow. We see that in verse 2. We stumble in many ways. If any man does not stumble in what he says, he's perfect, and he's able to bridle the whole body. So what the Scripture teaches us is that the first place that we can look to find out what is really going on in our life is how we speak. Now, before we get to that, let me just mention, how many times have you gotten in trouble with your mouth? Compared to, say, your feet. How many times have you gotten in trouble with your mouth compared to, say, your hands? To me, it's about 90-10. Unless I'm on Tamiami Trail, then it evens out a little bit more between my mouth and hands. But regardless. It's the hardest to keep from filthy overflow. The scripture says it's the catalyst or, the re- or it's responsible for our direction in verse 3 through 6. Putting bits in the horse's mouth and the rudder of the ship, it turns the whole thing. It pilots, the, the ship is piloted by this rudder. And the tongue is a fire, a world of sin, restless evil, it says. And it's responsible for our direction. And then we have... The crux, I think, this is kind of the big pivot point for the whole book of James. It's right smack in the middle, right? Do you guys remember how when we started off for my introductory sermon to this book of James, I talked about the Sermon on the Mount? And I've made several references to how the fact that James kind of builds his case based upon the teachings of Jesus. And matter of fact, Jesus said, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. That was nice. Thanks, Jesus. Well, the scripture says in verse 6 through 8 that if you can control the tongue, you got it made. So James says, if you can control the tongue, you got it. But then right after that, just in case you started thinking, oh, well, then I can grab a hold of this thing, you know, and make sure. He says, but no man, no human being can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, restless evil, restless, full of deadly poison. You see the mesh between the Sermon on the Mountain and James? It's pretty clear. It's a paradox, right? Because you have to be perfect. James 1 even said that, remember? He says, be perfect. Jesus said, be perfect. And to do that, you need to control the tongue. So James says, look, if you want to be perfect, here's where it starts. Control your mouth. Control it. There there you go. You You really want to try to do this? Right there. And then he turns around and says, by the way, you can't do it. It's impossible. This is where the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe James was drawing much from in this book, this is where they kind of mesh together, and it's very clear, because he uses a lot of the same phrases, does he not? I mean, these are parallel passages from what Jesus was preaching, and he talks about the tongue, and he says it's impossible to tame it. Then he goes on in verses 9 through 10, and he calls the tongue the womb of hypocrisy. This is where hypocrisy is born out. Verses 9 and 10, he says, 
With it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the very likeness of God. And from the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. And in the original Greek, you can see it in there, it says, especially on Tamiami Trail. It says it right there. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. It's the womb of, hypo of hypocrisy. See, this is when, when people who aren't believers, right, and they're struggling with whether or not they want to embrace the message of life and the message of redemption and hope and, and the, receive with meekness the implanted word of God, one of the first places they go for an excuse to, to escape having to make that commitment is what? Well, Christians are hypocrites. And you know why they say that? It's not because of our feet. It's because of our mouth. Because we'll judge. Remember what James said in the, in the earlier passages that I preached? He talks about judgment, right? And he says, The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Judge not, lest you be judged. And he talks about the fact that when we are judging others, we are setting ourselves up as what? Teacher. Right? When we want to judge others, we are saying, I know better than you. This is how you should be. Let me tell you what you've done wrong. Then what does he say in chapter 3? Don't desire to be teachers because the condemnation is greater. And our tongue is the womb of hypocrisy. I can tell you in my own life, especially as I'm writing this sermon this week, I start looking at it and I just got really depressed to be honest with you. And so James sets up this very, very dark place. Because then he also says it's the window to the soul, verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour, pour forth from the both the same openings, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Now guys, does your tongue ever give evidence of the implanted word? Remember what we talked about? Don't be a judger, but receive with meekness what? The implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. And he talks about the filthiness and overflow of wickedness. But when the word of God is implanted in our souls uh, passively, right? And then we respond with meekness and humility and brokenness. The overflow begins to transform from filthiness. Remember the picture we showed of the milk in the microwave? When you turn the heat up, what's inside comes out. Remember that? And just in this same situation, when the implanted word of God is in our heart and souls, when the heat is turned up, that's why we love trials, right? The reason we love trials and tribulation, because when the heat is turned up, it reveals what's in us, correct? And the implanted word of God produces this overflow of righteousness, of meekness, of humility, of brokenness, of mercy. And we talked about last week, mercy triumphs over judgment. Does your tongue ever give evidence of the implanted word, which is meekness, humility, and brokenness? I'm going to give you an example in my life that actually encouraged me, right? So we have a weekly staff meeting, and we were talking about some pretty weighty issues. And I know this is going to surprise you. It's very out of character for me, but I got a little intense. 
I did. I got, you know. And after the meeting, I began to think through, man, I hope that my intensity didn't come across as arrogant. I hope my intensity didn't come across as being judgmental. And so I went to each member of the, of the team and I said, listen, did I come across that way? Because if I did, please let me know. That was not my intention and I apologize. And I was concerned about it. And as I was approaching him and making sure that, that my heart was in the right place, God said, there you go. That's an overflow of righteousness. Because I was kind of humbled by it. I started looking and, and, and God was kind of breaking my heart. Why? Not because I'm a good guy, because I'm not. But the implanted word is able to save my soul. And the implanted word produced this overflow of righteousness, which was, I had to go back to my team members and say, was I in the right frame of mind? Was I out of line? Did I cross a line? Was I out of touch? Again, I don't get credit for that. It's the passively implanted word of truth. This is what Jesus says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Does that sound familiar? What did James say? Vine, fig, you know, all that stuff. You den of snakes, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Filthiness, overflow of wickedness. The good person, out of his good treasure, implanted word, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, filthiness and overflow of wickedness, brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment... People will give an account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And Jesus says another time, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs, see, there's a little parallel passage going on here, is there not? Do you see the evidence compounding and building between James and the Sermon on the Mount? For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of his good treasure of his heart produces good. Implanted word of God, righteousness. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth overflows. See, in verses 11 and 12, James uses a spring and a fig tree as an illustration what is he trying to teach us with those illustrations? Doesn't it seem impossible? Guys, you understand what James is doing in chapter 3. He's kind of culminating this whole idea of filthiness and overflow of wickedness with the implanted word of God. And in James chapter 3, he says, this is the first place to look for the overflow. By the way, you can't control it. See, many may think that God justifies us. In other words, he saves us and forgives us and then we do the rest. See, that's kind of where we like to go as Christians, right? Well, look, I've gotten forgiveness. I've trusted Christ. I've received with meekness. And now I'm going to get godly. No. It's God's implanted word that sanctifies you. 
Do you understand that? And the more we receive it with brokenness, not just receive it, by the way, because anybody can hear, be a hearer of the word and a doer. Remember that? So once we receive it with meekness, the more Christ himself does the work and our vain efforts of controlling the tongue become a thing of the past. You see that? Because man cannot tame the tongue. Only God, through the implanted word, can change your overflow. Because without it, without the implanted word, your tongue is restless evil and deadly poison. 